Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Ilaria. And I'm Daphne. And this week on Mom Brain, you guys, we are going to go um, pretty deep on a topic that I, I definitely don't think you're going to want your kids to listen in on. So recommend you listen to this episode with your earphones in um, or when you have a private moment. But it's a topic that I know you're going to feel really moved by and learn a ton from. We are going to go deep uh, with an organization that's doing an incredible job to fight against child sexual abuse. They're using technology that's free to help law enforcement worldwide track, locate, and arrest child predators. You're going to hear from the founder. You're also going to hear from a female investigator who is a mom herself. Um, when you hear about the prevalence of this problem and the magnitude of how um, accessible kids are to people with really horrible intentions. Um, it, it certainly woke me up to, uh, you know, a lot of us are going to be spending a lot more time online than we're used to, um, to how to navigate that technology world, especially with our kids in an as safe a way as possible. Lots and lots to glean as a, um, as a mom and as a parent and as a mama bear to all these kids worldwide as well. Today, we're talking to Carly Eust, who's the CEO and founder of Child Rescue Coalition and Mo McClanahan, uh, one of Child Rescue Coalition's investigators and a 20-year law enforcement veteran. Um, take a deep breath, and and you're about to get a lot of information that I I do believe will probably be very life changing for you and your home. Just to add, I since I don't think technology is going anywhere, and all of us will have to interact with it probably pretty substantially. This is also hopefully an episode that will arm you with the best tips and apps and and techniques to use to make sure you can do it safely. All right. And now here's our episode with Carly of Child Rescue Coalition uh, and Officer Mo McClanahan of the Christiansburg Police Department's Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Mom, Hi, I'm Carly Yost. I'm the CEO and founder of Child Rescue Coalition. I'm also a mom of two young kids and trying to navigate this world myself to, to keep them safe and to prevent childhood sexual abuse. Um, that's really what our organization, Child Rescue Coalition, does is fights uh, to make sure that we put a stop to these dangerous predators. And so uh, please, I encourage you guys to follow us. Uh, go to our website, childrescuecoalition.org sign up for our newsletter, follow our Facebook page or Instagram, um, and please keep tabs of, of the work that we're doing and get involved in our mission. Hi, I'm Mo McClanahan, and I'm an investigator with the Christiansburg Police Department, and I work internet crimes against children. I've been working these cases for the last eight years, and my position really spans from not only doing reactive cases, dealing with children that have been sexually abused or their images have been shared. I also work proactive cases where I work undercover online and trying to intercept the predators from getting to our children, not only in our community, but also around the world. And uh, again, I am also a mom of one little boy. He's eight years old. And this work has been my passion. And it really just is important work that 
educating and, and equipping moms of learning how to better safeguard our kids is really key in this time. I'm somebody that giving my children, especially during this time of COVID, an iPad sometimes so I can like go take a shower, you know, and I'm, you know, they have movies on there, but they have learned to talk to Siri. I've turned Siri off. Um, then they will learn to turn Siri back on. You know what I mean? Like it's it's amazing that these little kids, what they're learning how to do. And even in a short period of time, the rabbit holes that they can go on, like even the ones they can't spell, they learn to communicate somehow with the internet to go down these rabbit holes. And so what what is it? I mean, when you when when somebody as a mother who is really not very tech savvy. And, you know, but wanting to move with the times, not wanting to give the kids too much screen time, but wanting them also to have it in order to understand that that is the world that they're growing up in. And that's going to, they need to develop these skills in order to potentially do the, to, to Zoom one day like we're doing, you know. Um, what are things that we can look for? Where where are these um, predators? You know, um, where are they hiding? Where are they looking? What What can we do? to keep our kids safe with their devices? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it sounds like you're doing a great job of trying to to keep one step ahead of your kids. But I think like all moms out there, kids are kind of always taking one step further and you have to keep monitoring what it is that they're they're doing. We have to really stay savvy as parents and as moms to keep tabs on, on what their online activity is. Um, so certainly when you're giving your child a device or allowing them access to the internet, it's really about knowing what sites that they're visiting. And it's not just allowing free access to potentially be putting them in harm's way of talking to a predator. Um, so potentially even sometimes YouTube or video channels can go down a bad path where children stumble upon videos that really aren't intended for young kids or could be um, even harmful for them to see. And certainly any kind of platform that has chat-based component, you want to make sure you know who they're talking to um, and that make sure that you're not allowing predators to then gain access to your children. So really where our tool and our technology sits is monitoring the dark web or, or underground areas of the internet where the majority of these really dangerous predators have learned quickly that they can just gain as much access and free access to the videos and images of children being abused. And it's all illegal files that they're possessing. But one thing we know about predators is they're not just using these networks. They're also in YouTube, Facebook, um, social media accounts. They're, they're using all platforms, gaming devices, to find children and talk to children. Uh, so really we are working so hard with law enforcement to be able to put a stop to as many of them as we can, but we do provide so many resources for parents to make sure that they have all the tips that they need of if your child's using a certain type of technology platform that we try to educate the parents as much as we can about safety settings, privacy settings, and monitoring your children's activity on those networks. A couple of weeks ago, it was, um, it was, I think it's World Against Human Trafficking Day. Or, and it was, it's interesting. There was in some cases a lot of sharing and in some ways like a very quiet day of, because I think, look, it's a very, very scary, traumatic, horrible 
thing for anyone to talk about. And the only way you get past that is to realize it's so much more horrible and traumatic and scary for anyone experiencing it, especially kids experiencing it. So you, I mean, it's, it's so hard to become acquainted with this material, but once you are, it really opens your eyes to how constantly it's happening and how much you, you know, how much your work is cut out for you with the organization and and with other organizations that you work in tandem with, um, and how committed it, you know, as a mom, it makes it me feel that I, that, you know, imagine if all the mama bears came out and showed their love and support for these kids who are being victimized. Um, I will not cry. I will not cry. <laughs> but in any case, all to say, I, I was really blown away. You were very generous to walk me through your technology after we were in contact, you know, over the, over Instagram. Um, and what I was blown away by was, so you have this like live feature where you can see specific instances of um, illegal files being shared in real time around the globe. And I mean, you had this program open for a minute, maybe two minutes, and there were hundreds of red dots that populated all over the map. What was crazy is you could really see like, you know, Europe was awake and the US was awake, but like Asia was asleep. And like, you, you could see that there were like, real people up at night on their computer doing, you know, trading these files and things. And it was, I, I, I just want, if you could, if you could just like impress upon our listeners a little bit of like what the scale of this problem looks like. And, um, and yeah, like who, you know, how it is that your, that your technology works to help stop what's happening. Because I think that that will really ground the conversation going forward. God forbid anyone listening to this podcast is ever in a, you know, it, it, it personally experiences this, but our, all of our children are subject to violation online. And I think that we can, we can, there's a lot we can learn from you in that regard as well. Yeah. Thank you, Daphne. It was, it was great to be able to show you the technology because it really, uh, makes it real for people of how we are helping this problem and how big the scope of the problem is. So um, one thing we know about about trafficking and we know about sexual childhood sexual abuse is that this is happening on a large scale. Um, typically, early childhood sexual abuse is happening with with someone who's known to the family. 90% of the time, it's it's not a stranger. It's actually someone who's known and put themselves in a position of trust within the, the family and the parents. And so when you you talk about seeing our map, I want to describe that to the viewers and, and why it's so important that we're tracking child sexual abuse material is because these are people who are online and they are showing us that these are people who would pay for a child who is being trafficked for sex or it is someone who would hands-on abuse a child. So these people are downloading this material, very, very young age range, oftentimes um, younger than five years old. They're, they're watching mm. the abuse of. And so it's someone who's committing an act by just purely being in possession of this uh, felonious file, but they're also a huge red flag that these are hands-on abusers. So when you look at our tool, the, what I was able to show you, Daphne, was that uh, just a world map. And by hitting start, it's not a video, it's real-time leads coming into our system of computers that are online at that very second and dots just appearing all over the map. And really we see uh, in a matter of, of seconds, really, thousands of dots lighting up the entire globe. Those dots are representing specifically what kind of transaction or what kind of um, thing? What's the dot? Yeah. So it means that a computer, so a 
predator is actually online at that very second. And not only have they downloaded illegal content and they're in possession of it, which is a felony, but they're also making it available for distribution. So they're on these peer-to-peer networks and these open public forums. So they're in possession of one, if not hundreds or thousands of files and images like this, Uh, but they're also sharing it to other predators to be able to download from them as well. Um, And you can really see uh, trends going on. So sometimes Europe is worse uh, when it's daytime here, and then the United States will start picking up with more dots as it as it gets later and later hours. So there's a time of day. Uh, really, every time of day, there's dots all over the map. The biggest indicator that this is happening and where we see it is where we see dense population size and access to the internet. So there's remote areas of the world that don't have sophisticated internet access, and we're not seeing the kind of activity there. But really, the United States pretty much gets covered with dots if you let it run long enough um, and, and Europe as well as, as pretty much anywhere that has um, high-speed internet. So, you know, say, you know, there's a predator and he or she is releasing in, um, inappropriate photos. How does that get picked? How are you guys catching that? Uh, we start tracking a file once an officer and one of our thousands of trained officers who use our tool and Officer Mo is here and, and talk about her work too as well. But we start tracking a file. Once an officer has laid eyes on it, they actually have to view and see that imagery, which is really horrific uh, part of their job. And they categorize it to us as a, a child notable, which means actually worse than the, the legal definition of child pornography, which is 18 and, and under. We actually take a stricter uh, threshold and track 12 and younger, so visually prepubescent children. And so we don't, we're not just tracking anything that we think could be this illegal material. We want to make sure an officer has viewed it and categorized it to us as a known illegal content. Then when these computers go into these networks, they are, it feels very anonymous to the predator. They're not putting their name in, there's no address, there's no credit card attached. Um, they feel like they're safe to, to, to do this kind of uh, activity. But what they don't know is they're publicly exposing their IP address. Mm. And so we capture their IP address, which is resolvable to that law enforcement officer to find out exactly who's behind it and uh, the address of that actual activities occurring. Um, and the officer can can really start the investigation from there by, by going into the home, taking devices, and ultimately making the arrest of the person responsible for that behavior. Um, but, but beyond that, we really build a whole profile of a whole region. So if an officer is from New York City um, or maybe has jurisdiction over the entire state, we would show them their region their region of jurisdiction and rank who the worst of the worst offenders are. And when they're clicking on one IP address, we give them a whole profile of this is the age range of victims that they're trading. This is exactly how many files that they've traded. And even tell them if they've been traveling with that device to different states um, with exact dates and times of all that activity. Mo, I know that we can't 
we can't see you, but can you tell us a little bit about your background as a police officer and specialty in this field and then how, how you connected with CRC? Absolutely. So my career expands for 20 years now, and the last eight have been with the Internet Crimes Against Children's Task Force. And actually, this position that I'm in as soon as I received the position, my very first training was in Boca Raton at the TLO, where I learned how to use CPS uh, software at the time. And so I've been using it my whole career, and it's really helped to intercept the predators when it comes to viewing to eventually hands-on. And so there are cases that I have seen where there hasn't been hands-on, they haven't admitted to hands-on, we have no victims that are coming forward to cases where they were hands-on and we would have never have known because the children weren't verbal. And so because we had their interaction on the peer-to-peer networks and we were able to see the files that they were already downloading and sharing, that developed the case for us to do search warrants to the home, retrieve all the devices, and then eventually find the victims on the suspect's phone. So, which was a a stepchild in the case that I'm thinking of right now, and the mother had no idea. So, you know, it, it really ranges. And like Carly said, a high percentage of those that are viewing these images, it's like 85% are hands-on. So when we start these cases, yeah, we're going to talk about the files that are going to be on their devices, but we are always going to make sure that there is no victims. And we're going to always assume that there are. And so that's really what we want to get to when it comes to prosecuting. It's not just about putting them in jail because they have these images. It's about making sure that there's not victims out there that need to be heard and need to have their closure and us intervene with some counseling or or having their say. Before we jump into some of the digitally protective practices we can all use right now, I would love if you would, just because you shared that anecdote about the stepmother who knew, who did not, or the mother, I should say, who didn't know anything was going on. Um, Carly had mentioned that they recently on their website shared like a grooming manual, uh, uh, basically something that child abusers share with each other about like how to find children. Um, And it was truly horrifying the way that like they outline, here's how you can take advantage of a single mother. Here's how you can get access to kids and their parents won't know. And Again, like I hope none of us ever actually need to use this information, but in terms of like protecting ourselves, but I think it's helpful for people to hear because you have no idea. I didn't have any idea how at risk and how, how brazen a lot of these, um, a lot of these abusers are. So I'd love if, if Mo, if Carly, one of you wants to talk a little bit about some of these practices that most endanger children to parents who have no idea what's going on. It's officers like Mo that are doing so much, um, like truly the ones rescuing the children. I mean, we're providing the technology and we want to support their case and identify as many of these as possible. But really the work she does and other officers, it's really amazing um, that I think a lot of people don't even realize that the kind of work and dedication it does take from these specifically sex abuse or um, child sexual abuse officers. Um, but yes, you talked about that that manual. So I just wanted to explain that portion of our of our tool. So there there are things that we've uncovered that are also being shared in these same networks that aren't 
child sexual abuse materials, but they're very, they're of interest to us and our investigators. So one of them that we discovered is an online manual, a grooming manual that a predator uh, typed up. I think it's a 177 page document that is titled How to Practice Child Love. Uh, oh my goes, gosh. Yeah, it's, it's really graphic and it's one of, of many and, and to us, one of the most disturbing things that are out there. And, and when you when you pair that with a person who has, let's say, 150 illegal files of child sexual abuse material paired with now they have a document that's training them how to find access to a child, uh, how to avoid detection, where to go and what to say to children, even what type of, of parents to look out for as easy targets and prey and what type of children are easier to target. Um, and, and then ultimately, step by step, tells them how to start sexually abusing the child. So that, and that document is protected by freedom of speech. It's not an illegal document to have. There is no images or abuse within it. It's just highly suspicious of why would someone be reading that kind of um, material. But when you pair that with the illegal activity of downloading those illegal files and having a, a grooming document of any kind like that, we actually show that to our officers. We kind of move that person higher on our list to really tell the officers that we think they should look into this person because there could be more likelihood that there are hands-on abusers if they're sharing those kind of documents. Um, what are ways that they're trying to get towards So you talked about chat rooms. Um, what are other things that we should look out for? Daphne and I are very protective parents. We're around our children all the time. Um, but, you know, there are going to be the times when they go to school or the times they go to a friend's house or, you know, what what are some typical typical ways that we should heighten our senses for? Yeah, I really think uh, just knowing who your children are going to be around. So knowing the, the parents, if there's any kind of sleepovers, um, really trusting, knowing if there's, you know, another relative that would be coming in and out of the house, like who your children are around all the time. Um, and then, you know, if someone's showing a special interest in your child that goes beyond um, what you think is normal, just kind of having that lens of, unfortunately, we do live in a world where we have to kind of look at things that way. But if, if there's a coach or someone like that who's interested in, you know, taking them on a special trip, um, it's things like that to look out for. And then definitely their online activity. Are they talking to strangers online? Are they receiving gifts that are strange gifts from someone you don't know? Do they have phone numbers calling them from their distant phone numbers or phone numbers that you don't recognize? Uh, really kind of trying to recognize these tips um, and, and these signs and making sure that you really have communication with your, your children. So. Number one, I think, is hopefully we don't have to recognize when abuse is happening, but let's try to prevent it from ever happening. Uh, so really talking about to your children and even starting at an early age that there are people online who are tricky people and they're trying to pretend to be someone that they're not. Um, and the idea that really the Internet could be uh, and is potentially uh, dangerous for them to be talking to people that, that they absolutely do not know in person. And I think that's a good point, too, is teaching your kids the difference between 
where do you meet friends and how do you know them and how do we gain trust versus someone you're talking to on a gaming platform or you really don't know who's behind that screen, that those, you know, really aren't true friends or someone to talk to. Mo, did you have more to add? I- yes, actually, it, when it comes to the grooming, and, and I read the the blog post, which I have seen that document off and on throughout the years, and um, I've actually built up a lot of my presentations. So I go to communities, I go to um, parent groups, I go into the schools, and I talk about those grooming and not only what's being seen in that document, but I also work undercover online, and so. I love the aspect of the reactive using the CPS software, but also doing the proactive and intercepting them to getting to our children. And a lot of those grooming, um, they're, that's what they're using to me as a child online. And so I always talk about the flattery. Most of the time, the, the predators are going to look for somebody that has low self-esteem, low self-image. And so I play that role. So, of course, the first time they tell me that I look sexy based on my profile picture, which is literally a picture of my eye, then I just kind of play into that. And then eventually it turns into where they become a little bit more possessive and kind of jealous and they start claiming that child as theirs and and that makes the child feel like somebody wants them and and so they really play into that and then of course the gifts as well i have received web cameras clothes i'm always asking for new bikini because that's like the closest thing that predators are thinking about you know as being naked um i've gotten the cell phone. I've gotten a cell phone in my undercover name with a phone number already assigned to it. And then another step that they take is exposing the children to pornography and really trying to desensitize them. So the the predators that are getting the images through peer-to-peer are also using those to show to other children so they can start victimizing them. And then another thing you said about the friends. So my son is actually eight. And so we have the conversations all the time. And it's probably unlucky for him, a lot of people think, because I'm his mom. But at the same time, I have the conversations. We talked about real friends, people that you see, people that you play ball with, versus friends that are just a title online and that he's not allowed to add anybody that he's never met before and that he actually shares that with his friends. So he does play some games online. Of course, we are there with him, but I've overheard him tell his friends that he cannot play if they invite a stranger in there and he makes them pick either me or the stranger and wow. Yeah. And sometimes they pick the stranger and it hurts his feelings, but he'll leave the game and, you know, he might cry about it. But I just praise him for being brave and and sticking up for himself and, and also trying to educate his own kids and and sharing that. So so the conversation started very young with him, but you find what is appropriate at what age and what kind of content you should be talking to. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. What age do you feel like we should start having these conversations? If they're online, then I would start having the conversations. So uh, you guys talked about like the YouTube and I took YouTube away from him probably about three years ago. 
And then I allowed the YouTube kids, but then um, I realized that he was, yeah, yeah, which it is exactly. I found that he was utilizing it just like adults do with Instagram or Facebook. And he was comparing himself to the children on these shows. And so he wanted the experience that those kids were having when our family dynamic is completely different. And so the comparison was really robbing him of joy. So I removed him from both of those at a at a young age but I had the conversation that I told him it wasn't for discipline reasons it was to protect him and his happiness and at first it was an issue but now he he just always refers remember back when I used to watch YouTube (laughs) (laughs) well he sounds like a really strong kid I feel like I mean even just having the courage to to like tell your friends they have to pick between you or someone else. It's just hard. It's really mm-hmm. hard. And, but it's, it's so critical. And I, I, I mean, the work that you do is unbelievable. And to do it as a mother too, is it feels like it's, you must approach it with such a different perspective. Um, I'm, you know, we've had the conversation on the podcast a couple of times, about whether or not to share photos of our kids or videos of our kids online. And people normally approach it from like a privacy standpoint of imagine your kids when they're older, didn't want you to put this picture of them in a, ba- a bathtub up on your uh, Instagram, even though it's such a cute photo and like you as a mom cherish it, but it never really, and not that it never dawned on me, but I guess I kind of thought it was more in like the dark web area, not like close to my, my life that predators would come and find your kids and use your kids images in inappropriate ways or, or derive things from them that you never intended to be there. And the hashtags that are going around now too, can you just, can you just illuminate for everybody a little bit what, um, as a mom, uh, you know, officer, what, what's your, what's your sort of take on, what do you tell your friends? I should say about sharing videos or footage of their kids online, um, and any hashtags to stay away from or hashtags that are used in inappropriate ways. One thing we saw definitely and feedback from officers was that within the collection of predators that we're leading to the identity of. So they have all this, this big collection they've gotten from these underground networks and peer to peer networks of illegal files, but mixed within them pictures of other people's children. So maybe not even that go to the legal definition of child pornography, but they've taken other people's family photos that they've gotten off social media and it's part of their collection. And it's, you know, kids in bikini pictures or or a bath time photo, um, probably something that was very innocently posted by that family and really became something dark and, and disturbing to even think that your kids could be part of it. So it, it was a, a campaign that we launched about a year ago called Pause Before You Post, um, and really uh, not trying to shame moms. Um, I have two young kids myself. I, I do post pictures of them on social media. I try to make sure that all my privacy settings are completely private, that I know the people that are part of that social network. Um, but even even still, even with doing all of that, uh, pause and think about it. Would you, would your child or would you want a picture that could potentially overexpose them? So, so don't expose too much nudity. Don't expose details that talk about what kind of, what school they go to or location of where they are at or if you're traveling or not traveling or could potentially put you at danger. And what we've seen, too, is just the majority of people are sharing. um, And as long as you're doing it appropriate, 
then, you know, we think that that's fine to, to continue to share, but just not oversharing. So what we have seen is that parents, there'll be uh, the average is about 1500 images of a child before the age of five years old is the average amount of and we, we talk about this term sharenting or uh, oversharing as parents. And a big part of our campaign as well was to be cautious of the hashtags that you're using. We have seen that if people are using hashtags, even if their account is set to private and they put in hashtag bath time fun, hashtag bikini kids, that this becomes public and it's searchable by predators to find these kind of images. Um, hashtag naked kids, um, modeling kids. There's a lot of them that are out there. And all of a sudden, something you thought was private or a, a funny generic uh, hashtag becomes dangerous and searchable by predators. And so it's definitely what we, we think about. So definitely not trying to scare my friends or other parents into completely not sharing, but I think we can all agree that you know someone who still is sharing those those completely nude bath time photos or pictures that are just really overexposing kids. And it's having that that nice conversation with that other mom of, of the potential dangers that could come out of that and, and yeah. why it's an important issue. What is the line that they have to cross in order to go and make an arrest? I get that question a lot. So when I give the presentations, I identify the code section within the Commonwealth of Virginia that any that child pornography or child sexual abuse material is any naked image of a child under the age of 18. And so I get the the questions of, but what about my baby in the bathtub or, you know, a toddler running through without underwear on and, and all of that. And the definition has to be that it's sexual in nature. And so either there's a zoom in on the genital area or the face really isn't in the image, you know, so everything is a case by case basis. And even when I talk to the children about sexting and them sending images of themselves, that it is still case by case, whether they asked for it or didn't, because in Commonwealth of Virginia, there is no age um, discrimination of who possesses manufactures or distributes. So children can wow. be charged with that. Um, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to educate, keep them safe, and try to grab that, uh, the imagery in real time so we can get it entered into the database so we can at least monitor it through the CPS system. That was something actually that I you you brought up, you know, you, you I think you said child pornography and, and or child sexual abuse material. And this it was it was on our phone call, Carly, that was like the first time it dawned on me that it was so weird that we colloquially refer to it as child pornography as opposed to child sexual abuse material, because there's nothing, you know, porn, however you see it, you know, you know, in, in theory, it's consenting. In theory, there's supposed to be pleasure involved in theory. There's like I mean, it's really like warped and twisted sometimes, but like that's the as adults, that's what that was intended to be. But like there is nothing even closely related to that with children. I don't know why it's not standard that we acknowledge that it's always sexual abuse when it's kids. What's what's sort of the take on that from within the community? 
Yeah, it's such a good point. And it's something we've really been trying to lead the charge on and make a, a big change. So, so when we refer to this material, we're talking about child sexual abuse material and really trying not to use the term uh, child pornography at all. It's still federally defined as child pornography charges when a predator is charged with this and put them away. I have heard about work that uh, they're doing in Congress to even change the legal definition of what these charges are. Um, but as much as an organization as possible in all of our material, and when I'm talking about the images themselves, I do refer to it as child sexual abuse. Because exactly your point, it's not, this isn't pornography as in any kind of willing a participant. This is absolutely the rape and, and the sexual abuse of very, very, very young children. Um, and, you know, there's still people who are out there that that know it as child pornography. Even I've heard some people refer to it as kiddie porn and ugh, like words like that, that this really shouldn't be be talked about in this way. We should label it what it is, which is child sexual abuse um, and child sexual abuse material. It does um, become difficult when you talk about the charges or the federal definitions because the laws are still on the books as they are. So sometimes the terms, you know, still need to be talked about. But it's a, a great point of uh, why labels and titles and things are so important because this isn't someone who was paid to do this. A child cannot consent to do this. There was nothing like anything that's uh, similar to adult pornography. And really, it's the sexual assault that continues to be traded and shared around the world and re-victimize that child every time they're being traded, like almost like baseball cards to amongst predators over and over again. So I'm glad you, you brought that point out. Yes, and I actually use it interchangeably for that reason. We are trying to educate even law enforcement that aren't particularly in the internet crimes against children area of expertise. And so we're always trying to educate, but yes, it is still on the books as the child pornography. And so I, I use it interchangeably in the presentations as well. We've been talking a lot about TikTok recently and um, how dangerous is it actually? What, what are your thoughts on it? We definitely are seeing that uh, a lot of predator activity is happening in TikTok. So there's certainly uh, an increase in how many people are using it. I think the whole world kind of stopped and went uh, virtual when COVID happened. And so many people are using more devices, we're using more applications. And TikTok, I think, has just seen this massive increase in how many users and followers they have. Um, so we did actually, we just posted a, a blog about TikTok that if you choose to allow your kids to use this, and, and I think that's an individual choice uh, that every parent needs to make. You know, I, I encourage them to learn what the, the pros are for using it and what the cons are. Um, and then we have six tips of how to be proactive. And if you are going to allow them to use it, how to do it safely. Uh, so some of the, the tips that we have is to make sure that you're adjusting the privacy settings within TikTok to make sure that they're as safe as possible and also managing the comments. I think that's a lot of times where the predators will go to. So they, uh, 
young kid puts a video up, it attracts a predator to make a comment. Um, similar to what Mo was saying before, they're going to try to groom that child. They're going to say things like how beautiful they are and, and where do you live and, and you know, want to learn things about that child and show them an interest. So parents need to be keeping tabs on what that communication is. Also setting time limits and checking the followers that they have on there. Um, and I even heard one tip that, that, I, that I liked from, from a safety expert that said um, that she doesn't personally allow her children to have TikTok on their phone, but she does have it on her own and she'll sit there with them and they can look up videos that she's kind of screening and screening the content together. Um, so personally, I, I don't have it. My kids haven't seen any of it, but they're pretty young. Um, and there definitely is issues too of, of where the, the data is all going. So you download this app, it's able to track your location and information and who owns that and where is it going and, and, and who has access to that. Um, so yes, you can definitely, you can go to our website, childrescuecoalition.org and print out our whole TikTok guide and blog and make that choice as a family of, you know, do we want to go down that? And if we do, let's make sure we're following these six steps to make sure it's safe. Talk to us a little bit about parental controls, you know, trying to find that balance of letting our kids get the information and 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 live in a world where there is um, there is technology. I grew up with hippie parents. I had no technology growing up, literally, literally. And I'm, and I regret some of that tremendously. There was some benefits. I'm very creative, but like, you know, I mean, trying to teach me how to do anything is like, so my, like you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that I'm teaching my kids how to use technology in a healthy way. But it's really, really tricky when I have to physically step away and I'm like, here you go. Fingers crossed, you know? Yeah. We actually, it reminded me, we interviewed a pediatrician yesterday on our Child Rescue Coalition Instagram. Uh, and, and that was a very question I asked him is, what was your recommended screen times and how has that shifted post-COVID? <laughs> and really giving ourselves a break as parents of saying, you know, we were doing good before, but some of it has changed. There's a lot more time that they're spending online and a lot more is focused about keeping them safe, keeping them educated. And we're all trying to do this from home and, and not being exposed to too much out in the community. Um, so definitely screen times have, uh, even the pediatrician said, relaxed, feeling so guilty about the amount of time. It's really more focusing on, you know, is it educational? Is what they're doing um, something that they can learn from? But I think what you talked about, about this rabbit hole and where they could you stumble across something that is too mature for their young age uh, really is a reality of, of the internet. Um, and it's something you could be having a conversation with them that, uh, of course, try to make sure what they're doing is age appropriate sites that they're accessing, but talk to them about what to do when they do come across something that makes them feel upset, is scary, um, is something that they don't want to see, or you know, someone tried to contact them, that they need to put the device down, come to you, tell you what they just saw um, and you can figure out what site was this? How can I block this from ever happening in the future? 
Um, but really kind of it, knowing that unfortunately, as our kids get older, this is going to happen to them one day. And, and they do need to be part of the solution of knowing the appropriate steps to take of shutting it down, stop looking at it, you know, and talk to a trusted adult about what it is that they just saw. I was just going to add on to that. Like, like you said, give them action steps. So if something does happen that they know to come to you and tell you about it and that they know to block right away, if you're not right there in the moment, that gives them control in the situation too. So instead of them feeling like they're being victimized, they're like, I don't have to take this. I'm going to block you because this is the step that I'm supposed to take. And then setting up the the expectations that when they do come to you, that it's not a punishment that they'll lose the device. I think that's a right. big thing that I've learned from just talking to the kids that do come in my office and talking to the parents. They're like, I'm going to take it from you. But that's not always the answer. And they're not going to tell the parents that they're being victimized right. if they think that's punishment because they do live life on these devices, unfortunately. And, um, and that's on all ages. And the other thing was having the specific times, like Carly said, and, and I listened to that interview yesterday it was amazing. And like we had specific times because we learned that when school was let out, that our child definitely needs, he's an only child. So, and we both work and he needed that interaction with his friends. And so we allowed a specific time and we even talked to the parents of the other children saying, can they all be on at this time so they can talk to each other and they can play together? And we all monitored and the parents were there or a babysitter was there at that time. And so just setting up those guidelines and then it's something that they can look forward to. And my husband and I actually talked about not even taking that because that used to be a punishment was if you're going to be disrespectful, we're going to take away your electronics. And instead of doing that, because that was like his only form of interaction and socialization at the time that we just took away time, but then he could earn time back by doing another extra chore or something. And so it's more along the lines of time from electronics than it was removing the actual thing. That's really good advice. And what what do you suggest just on the tail of that to, you know, if a parent fears that their child has been victimized or approached inappropriately online or, or in life, like what, what's the step to take? What are you supposed to do from there? I always say to report it because an officer will tell you whether or not if they can do anything about it or not, but they might have maybe they've been receiving other cases similar to it and maybe they already have somebody in mind, you know, or it's something that it is serious, more serious than what the parent might believe and they will take mm -hmm. the steps. And And I always tell people to, to I've had some um, people referred to me that I've never met before, but they're friends of friends and they're like, just ask Mo. And so I always say, <laughs> you know, you can always ask me and I, and I will either direct you to where you need to go. And I can even find contacts because we have the database with all the investigators that do work these specific crimes. And I never want anybody to feel like we're not listening or that we don't care because it sounds small to them, but it, it really isn't. Because once a child's been victimized you or seen something, you can't take that back. And yeah. and that child needs to be heard at, even at an early age to know that um, police officers definitely want to help them. Yeah. I just want to add to that, that some of the steps that we recommend 
exactly what Mo said. So contact your local law enforcement, certainly, if you come across this material or think your child's been contacted by a predator or any kind of suspicion of abuse happening. Um, number two is the organization, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is started by John and Reve Walsh. And they have a cyber tip line, so it's missingkids.org. And it's a place where anyone can go and make an anonymous online tip. Um, and it makes sure to get into law enforcement hands yeah. um, to report that ab- abuse. And then some other really helpful things that uh, an investigator just told me recently was uh, don't delete that person, um, preserve the evidence almost, don't keep continuing mm. to talk to them, but but not to report it to Facebook and have it shut down and delete it all. Like make sure mm-hmm. you're you're able to show that investigator what that what that communication was. Um, and and definitely making sure that law enforcement is notified of it if it's happening. Guys, thank you so much. This is, I, you know, obviously a lot of our conversations here on Mombrain are lighthearted or, or you know, forward thinking and 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 trying to look at the best sides and how to better our lives as parents and the lives of our children. But I think conversations like these are so important um, to protect our own kids and to protect kids all over the planet. And, and thank you so much to both of you for the incredible work that you're doing. We we love to close out our um, episodes with people recommending our their favorite things. And for you both, I wonder if you would share like your favorite resources to protect kids online. I know there's an app called Bark, I think that uh, maybe you talk about, but whatever, whatever your favorite resources are that help either monitor kids online or protect them. Resources for parents who, you know, obviously I think this, this uh, episode is going to spur a lot of thinking and a lot of um, consideration of, of how to approach technology in a really safe way going forward. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, we have recommended Bark as being a, gr- a great company that's monitoring um, children's devices. And it actually alerts parents if there's communication that they are filtering for that they know is like predator like words or, or phrases and actually alerting parents of who they're communicating with. Um, the other one, of course, if any kind of uh, actual lead that needs to first go to law enforcement to follow up on, a lot of people think that Child Rescue Coalition might be the place to report an active case to, and, and we always want them to go to the right place. So it's it's that missingkids.org, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I love the work that they're doing and the people behind it. They're a great, great organization. Um, but really where we come into play is working with investigators like Mo to provide them the tool to catch these child predators after we've determined that it's illegal material and we're, that they're trading these images. Um, but we have put a lot of time and resources into Child Rescue Coalition's page. So we have a whole education portion of our website that we've been working on for years of creating blogs and tips and uh, and how-to videos and all of it of, about how to protect your children. So I really encourage people to check out our site as well. Uh, so I do talk about Bark also. They have really advanced over the years. I used to refer them when I first started. That was one, but they were only on either just iOS or just Android at the time, and they've really expanded to even Chromebooks. And so I think that's really important for 
families to know because that's where the kids are going to be learning is on the Chromebooks. And then the other resource is through National Center of Missing and Exploited Children that's called NetSmarts. And what they provide are so many different resources, especially for parents to have conversations at all ages. So it tells you if your child is is a toddler, these are the topics and here's some videos that you can show them and oh, they're wow, that's so great. Yeah, they're they're age appropriate and then it goes all the way up to the teens. And so I've utilized those resources over the years and they've just been really great tips for parents to be like, I don't even know where to start. Like, how do I even just say this? So those are my resources. Thank you both so much. Thank you. And we're, we should all be so, so grateful for, for all of your help in making this world a, a safer place. Well, thank you so much for bringing it to light and sharing. Yes. And thank you for inviting me as well, Carly. And and the having me on here, because I have to tell you guys that when I heard it was mom brain, that that is like my tagline here at the office. (laughs) (laughs) I always say, is that they'll talk about a case and I go, was that pre baby? Because if so, I have no idea what you're talking about. No memory. No memory. It's hilarious. So all the guys, we sympathize. Yeah, that was pre baby. You won't know that one. That's so funny. Wow, that was, I mean, you, you probably heard us sigh and um, some sort of speechless moments a few yeah. times during that episode. It was incredibly eye-opening. Um, this topic is a difficult one to discuss, and I think because we as parents don't want to believe that our kids are at risk, um, but the threat is very real, and it is something that we need to talk about not only with experts, but with each other and with our children. And that's one thing that I'm learning again and again and again is that these conversations need to happen in an age-appropriate way, but much sooner than at least I am prepared for and at least my conversations with my girlfriends than they're prepared for as well. We're always like, oh my God, what are, what are we doing? Uh, we thought it was difficult when the kid wasn't sleeping through the night. Um, so, so no, this is, I think this is a, a step in a direction, um, at least for, for me and my family that, that we very much need to take. I loved learning about organizations like Bark. I loved learning about the other app that they share that is a great resource and tool for parents. Um, definitely gonna have to look more into that at, you know, I, I like you, Laria kind of signed my kids off of YouTube only because like the, the, the filtering of the content and the for you, you know, sort of like the next video you might like went to such bizarre places most of the time that feels really hard to keep track of. Um, I, you know, and I think moms do need a break. And especially now, like you're just on top of each other all the time as a family, there are definitely going to be moments where you just need that. You need like the babysitter quote unquote in the room. Um, and that, you know, is, is, definitely something that I've done before. And now to just be able to do it with a more keen eye and a more informed perspective about how to keep my kids safe. Um, but an even bigger idea for me that came through this episode and from my earlier conversations with Carly is like, you know, imagine if all the moms listening right now really took it upon themselves to to make a stink about this, like to make a stink about the fact that we still refer to it as child pornography. Like even, even just something that feels as like anesthetized and sanitized as that so that like people don't have to confront the dirty realities of it feels like a way of softening the blow that just hurts kids. And that makes me feel really 
um, fired up and really like excited to do what I can to lean into this issue and, and to, and, and to help support um, the work that the Child Rescue Coalition is doing. I'm so grateful that we got to have this episode and got to chat with these wonderful women doing really important things. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes! So this episode, I want to highlight another organization that works hand-in-hand with Child Rescue Coalition. It's called Operation Underground Railroad. It's actually X like special ops uh, men and women who go in and lead rescue missions to save kids from sex trafficking all around the globe. And it's just such a like brave and intense and incredible work that they do that I think a lot of the times it feels like we can sit, we can be upset about things and there's not much we can do um, personally to help. And it doesn't have to be money. Like money, obviously, organizations like these can always benefit from, but it, it can be just raising awareness around this issue. I think that people are really scared of talking about it or really like I am, like I I, I want to cry. I, make, I feel sick to my stomach every time I have to even think about these things. And so it's very hard to commit to being vocal about them. Um, and also you don't want to be disrespectful of other people who don't want to, necessarily expose their thoughts to these dark ideas because you can never get rid of them. But, but I do feel like all the mamas here really can, can find it in themselves to protect kids all over the globe. And, and these are two organizations that do incredible, incredible work. All right, guys, for my favorite thing, I'm going to, I'm going to take us off topic a little bit and into a, a comfort zone because I feel like we, we need some after that. Um, I, I, I don't know if you guys have heard of Barefoot Dreams blankets. Barefoot Dreams is like some of the yummiest fabric, most cozy fabric that you will ever come across. Now, they have absolutely everything from baby blankets to large blankets. They have like clothes and socks. Um, I, I've, I've got little baby socks and they're so cozy and all of us sleep with one of their blankets. Really? Um, yes, yes. And you know that I love my like fuzzy things. So <laughs> they are just delicious. So anyway, after this really difficult conversation, go get a blankie because no matter how old we are, we all need a blankie. All right, guys. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow us everywhere. We're uh, we're invading you everywhere. <laughs> email us. Email, especially after this one. Yeah. Email your thoughts, mombrainpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your tips, your questions, your experiences. Um, your your thoughts, your fears, all of it. Um, so email us. And if there's ever an episode that you know we we would ask you to share, it's this one. I feel like the more families we can protect by giving each other great information like this and how to keep each other safe, this is this is one of those episodes. And absolutely, when you write to us, like let us know what you're doing. Let teach us how you're keeping your kids safe because. Absolutely. This is something where the landscape is ever changing and the territory is constantly new. And I think um, I know you guys are going to have great tips to share with us as well. And we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, guys. Feel good. Bye. Bye. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production.